Welcome to the Exegetes Podcast. This week's episode is repeat after me. Does the sinner's prayer say? Welcome to this week's podcast. We're on podcast number two. Uh, we want to thank our listeners for, for running, uh, tuning in last week. Uh, we also want to thank uh, KTC Broadcasting, as we said last week, for giving us the equipment uh, we have. And we also want to thank Teresa, uh, Teresa Hastings, for getting us some of these nice chairs that we're actually sitting on this week. I know last week was uh, a little bit difficult with uh, the harder chairs. Hopefully, uh, in the next upcoming weeks, we're going to get a table that's a little bit more uh, conducive to what we're doing. It's going to be a rounder table where we can actually uh, look at each other and, and possibly get a guest on. Uh, every now and then, so uh, we want to thank everybody for that. We also want to thank uh, Hoyt's wife, Mandy, Mandy Colson, for uh, editing and getting our podcast off the ground. So uh, we've had listeners all over the world, so that's uh, exciting, uh, and we're excited about uh, this week's topic. This week, we're going to be talking about the sinner's prayer. Uh, I want to put a disclaimer out right off the bat, uh, and that disclaimer is, do I believe that some have been saved uh, by saying the sinner's prayer? And Cody, what do you think about that? Yes, but I think once you get to the point of saying it, you're already good. the spirit's already worked on you. You're, you're, yeah, so you're you're right on lines with that boy. What's your opinion on? Mine's the same as his. Just the different way of thinking about it is that you you have faith already, so you're saved, and then you have the conviction to say the prayer. Right. So uh, you wouldn't say the prayer without being saved. Right. Right. I got a, a couple. We we'll get to in a minute. A couple friends. Uh, pastors uh, and friends that uh, I've asked them their opinions on it, and, and one of the guys that's going to make a comment on this, you guys lined up almost uh, exactly with his. He's probably going to be excited, so excited when he sees this, uh, he's going to be jumping through the screen. So uh, I'll, I'll get to those in one second. So I wanted to bring that up that uh, um, yes, people do get saved by saying the sinner's prayer. Uh, but on the flip side of that, there's drastically more that have said this prayer, and I stress the word say, I got kind of quotation marks. Uh, when you look for them, they're MIA. And Cody used it in the military, so what do you think MIA means? Missing in action. Missing in action. Uh, boy, you're in the school system, and if you've got a kid that ain't in class, suspended. Suspended. <laughs> suspended. So we've got some people that have possibly said this prayer. When we look at the statistics, it might open your eyes a little bit uh, to how dangerous this thing can be. Uh, I think it was made uh, for a good purpose, and I think uh, it has been misused. Uh, and sometimes it can get us in trouble when we're trying to uh, just uh, gain numbers uh, or just trying to get somebody up there, maybe manipulate a little bit into uh, getting them to say this prayer. So, Because uh, uh, you want to see salvation. That's the goal. We want to see people get saved. We want God to be the author of that salvation and not man. So uh, so we want to look at that just a little bit. These people are not found anywhere in the churches. And there are also some who have said this prayer and been declared saved by the pastor. When they are not, a lot of times people trust their pastors, and when a pastor gets up, they get you to jump through some spiritual hoops, uh, and you go through that, and they declare you saved. Twenty years down the road, it happened to me. Uh, I was declared saved in front of the whole church. I thought everything was going right. I was living like a hellion for the next twenty years, and until God met me where I was and saved me, I was clinging on to that prayer. A lot of people cling on to that prayer. Uh, like it was their salvation, and that prayer is not their salvation, is it, guys? Yeah, I, mean, I felt the same way. My little boy got saved. Um, well, you know, said I said the prayer of salvation, I'm saved. And what do you know when you're a little kid? You know, I mean, if, if nothing else had happened after that, I'm still lost. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to talk into the microphone. It's fine. It's hard for me not to talk to Zach and look at him. Yep. Um, but you, you think you're saved or not, you know? And, and then 
stories about being baptized three or four times. Yeah, it keeps getting, it keeps coming up. How about you, Cody? Well, <clears throat> you see it. Um, it, it, it certainly is a, a detriment to uh, to saying the prayer in, in general because it gives a, a, some people a false idea of what it actually means to be saved. So it, uh, you know, it's, have to be careful. Yeah, be real careful with it. So uh, I want to bring up a, a few things too. Is uh, some of my background, uh, and we want to give credit where credit's due on our podcast if we're Using some statistics for some for some other uh, websites for some other people. Uh, my background uh, is in evangelism. I took courses from Living Waters, uh, Ray Comfort. Some of you guys might know Ray Comfort. Comfort. Some of you guys may not. Uh, but you definitely probably know Kurt Cameron from the Growing Pains days. Those guys did something called Way of the Master. They had something called School of Biblical Evangelism. I went through the courses. I uh, got my certificate through those guys, and they actually. Uh, Talk about the the law has been lost over time. It's almost like a lost key uh, for for addressing sinners, talking to them, not having an argument back and forth, but showing them through the law that the law is a mirror and it shows you your need for a savior. Uh, and sometimes we need to use that instead of some of the methods that we use today. A good bit of what we'll say on, on this particular uh, podcast uh, goes back to those lessons. It also goes back to an amazing sermon that uh, that Ray actually did uh, in the 70s or 80s. I know he did it a lot in the 80s. Uh, he would travel around and, and do this sermon for different churches. It's called Hell's Best Kept Secret. If you guys have never watched that, uh, I would highly recommend that you pull that up uh, and watch it. It's, it's very, very good. Uh, start off, though, uh, I wanted to, to read or have the guys read some of the uh, messages from, from three of the friends. Uh, you guys will probably see these guys on the podcast in the future. Uh, two of them are pastors. Uh, and one of them is a Christian friend of ours, uh, very knowledgeable, uh, and we'd like to get their opinions on some of this stuff, especially on the center's prayer. So the first one, uh, Cody, that will come up is... Uh, Mike Joe, Pastor Mariposa, a good friend of mine, and he gave two responses. The first one I want you to bring up is uh, the first response. It was a short response because he didn't have time to text me back when I was asking this question. What was his first response? It's dangerous. It is dangerous. Uh, he said, I will get back with you uh, on text. He said, I've got some, some things I want to say about this. Uh, got back with me a little bit later on Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. It says, uh, now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. <clears throat> or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first, and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? 
It is neither fit for the lamb nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out. Who, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So scripture seems to point, as Mike says, to uh, not have a hasty uh, decision or emotional decision to follow Christ. And a lot of times when we get into that sinner's prayer, a lot of it is an emotional decision. Now, now we should be emotional when we get uh, drawn by salvation, but we don't want to be an emotional decision just to say a particular prayer. And he says, uh, we don't want to be an emotional decision to follow Christ. At, and as such, the scripture speaks against uh, the sinner's prayer for a decision. I, I put in quotation marks, remember decisions for Christ. But that's going to come up a little bit later uh, in some of our uh, origins on this. So, uh, Boy, you mind reading uh, what our, our good friend Tom Witherspoon, he's a, he's a pastor, but he's also a Sunday school teacher at Shadow Baptist Church. Tom said, it's not a format, it's not a method, it's not a formula at its best. It's a way for a finite being to profess relationship with an infinite being, Christ. That we acknowledge our sinful nature and ask Jesus to put our life in a relationship with him through repentance. It's not a prayer to save from bell or hell. Excuse me, let me say that again. It's not a prayer to save from hell. Salvation is not just a prayer, it is a relationship. When someone says they said a prayer and got saved, we will see. So, so Tom is referencing uh, this might have been an emotional decision right off the bat. Uh, and then once we start to see the fruits that should be coming up in our life, if we don't see that, this might not have been a true uh, salvation experience. So with Mike and with Tom that's coming through, we're starting to get a whole picture of what can be dangerous about the sinner's prayer, and, and can it be useful uh, also? And, and Cody, you got uh, the our, our good friend John Splone is probably going to be on here, and he's very knowledgeable. He's probably going to be grinning from ear to ear when, when we said his name on the podcast, and uh, you get to read through his uh, his uh, uh, explanation of what he thinks sinner's prayer is. Uh, his answer was, uh, because I believe gener- regeneration precedes faith, I believe an unsaved person cannot pray a sinner's prayer. The former sinner, already regenerated, will pray a prayer of repentance and confession, but I believe that God has already regenerated them, saved them before they say such prayer. Uh, we guys uh, talked about this a minute ago, and, and that was Hoy. That was where you were actually pointing it toward uh, before we got this uh, video up. And, and, and Cody, you almost said exactly the same thing, that the prayer, if that is something you actually say, it's because God has already saved you, and this is your uh, confession coming back out. So... Uh, all three answers, uh, when I looked at them, um, thought about them for a day or so, and, and every single one of them I thought were very good in my opinion. Uh, and, and the biggest thing I want to bring up is is we do not see anywhere any of the disciples or Jesus saying anyone. Y'all, yeah, I mean, if you guys see it, y'all ought to let me know. You repeat this prayer after me. Do we see that when they go out and witness? What is the big message that they got? What is John the Baptist's message? He, he had one big word. Y'all remember? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Repent for the kingdom of heaven is his hand. They didn't come out and say, hey guys, you know, why don't you come over here and want you say this little prayer? We're going to get you all through this religious service. We're going to declare you saved and send you on your way. They didn't do that. Uh, he, Jesus said, uh, go out there and make disciples. And we're going to look at some of that too because a lot of times when somebody actually truly gets saved, then the next step that we miss is a big step. Uh, we miss the coming along with them and discipling when they are actually Truly say so. We'll look at that uh, eventually in our podcast too. But so now I throw a curveball. Good. All right. Cough. Excuse me. Yep. Um, what is the difference between saying the sinner's prayer and then a public profession of faith? I mean, the prayer is your is your relationship with God. Or you acknowledge it. We're coming to understand between you know 
you professing it to God and then you know public is you professing it to other people. I'll use a an illustration that Ray actually did. I, I wasn't planning on doing this since you brought it up, put us on the on the on the on the spot here with it. Uh, sorry about that. You good? No, it's fine. Profession of faith, uh, like Cody said, you're coming out and you're saying, Hey, I've done this. I have made this decision. I am saved. There's a change in my life. Somebody come beside me, basically, right? Help me. Yeah. Yeah. Ray Comfort put it put it like this. And uh, you guys are in here, you and Mandy's in here. Let's just say, for instance, that you've done something wrong, Mandy's kicked you out of the house, right? Man, it's getting dark. Right, so the man's kicking well, out of the house. And, uh, Coy, I'm going to say, I didn't you, you know what, Coy? Uh, we have to go to the house. And I'm going to walk with you to the house, right? Yeah. And I'll say, let's go, Coy. Let's go up on your front doorstep. I'm a little bit nervous, you know, Coy. I'm a little bit nervous. And uh, I'll say, Coy, knock on the door. Coy. Mandy opens up the door. She's looking at you. She's looking at me. She's one of my mother. They were standing on the front doorstep. She's probably obviously still mad at you. Tell her, I'm sorry, Mandy. <laughs> sorry, honey. Tell her you love her. <laughs> I love you, honey. Tell her you ain't going to do it again. I ain't going to do it again. Mandy's probably going to do what? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And that? she's going to slam the door in your face because, number one, I told you everything to say, even though it was the right thing to say. And number two, yeah. it might not be from you. It might not be contrived. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that is a dangerous thing to me when we bring somebody up and we give them exactly the things to say. We know the Holy Spirit's in there. We know God's with us, and we're trying to get him to apologize so it's original thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's got to be a, it's got to be something that God has drawn you. He's got to have be regenerated because the Bible says that we're in enmity with God before we're saved. We're not. It says we cannot understand the things of God, nor we uh, do these things. So God has to make a move inside of us. That's going to bring up another word. We come up a little bit later. There's uh, people that believe in, in synergism with, with with salvation. Some people believe in monergism. I believe in monergism. God acts on His own in salvation. I think yeah. during uh, sanctification, I think that's a synergistic thing. We are in the process with God on, on sanctifying us and getting our life right. But yeah. salvation is always monergistic. We'll look at that a little bit later. So. Good question. Uh, I thought Ray did an excellent job when he did that because, you know, our wives are going to shut the door in our face because they want it to be from us. They want it to be contrite. And they want us to be, number one, not just say word, but they want us to be changed. Does that make sense? So all that comes in the midst of what we're talking about. So uh, all the answers are very good in my opinion. We do not see any disciples or Jesus, Jesus saying to anyone, repeat this prayer for me. I do want to bring this up because you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, the closest thing to one of a sinner's prayer that we can find is in Psalm 51, 1 through 5. We Psalm 51, 1 through 5. This is date. So this is coming out of the, uh, NASB 2020. 51.1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness. According to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in secret you will make wisdom to me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. So this is the clo- that's probably the closest thing we can ever see to what we would call a sinner's prayer. We know David, of, uh, of all the, the, the people in, in the Bible, David probably broke one, almost every one of the Ten Commandments. We also know something else about David. Though. The Bible says he was a man after what? God's own heart. God's own heart. So uh, David had the right heart. 
Uh, David was confessional, as we saw right there, and when David made a mistake, he was willing to go to God and confess. It actually comes from the word confess, and your, and your Bible actually means to agree with. Uh, God wants us to agree that we've done something wrong. When we do that, uh, opens up that line of communication back and forth. So that's the closest thing we can see. That's really interesting, too, because I think a lot of people, especially me, if I think confess is just saying I've done it, mm-hmm. but not agreeing that what I've done is wrong. And then we have to look at ourselves too. Like uh, Cody, you got uh, yeah, count how many kids you got now? Three, right? <laughs> you got three kids, uh, and you're not going to have to count it's us, <laughs> right? And you're a dad, and this is a father-son relationship. And as a dad, you're trying to lead them in the right ways that they're supposed to be living. Uh, and you want when they do something wrong, and you know better for that, you want them to confess, agree with you, right? Right. I mean, you want that to happen because you, you're trying to get them on the right path. That's why First uh, First John one nine is so important. You confess your sins; He's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. But that confession at that particular point in time is after you are a believer. And I think that's what David's condition was in Psalm fifty one. David was a believer, uh, just like in the New Testament, Old Testament saints are the same. You're saved by grace through faith alone. They don't agree with me. They they were wrong. Then I expect them to do it again. We expect that, that, and that's fair. And if they do these things, then uh, your next step is to chastise them, right? Uh, to 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 possibly correct them, give them a spanking. That's what God does to us. The Bible says, uh, if you are truly a son, you will be. Chastised, you will be um, uh, corrected. So uh, that, that that comes into part of all this too. But uh, where did this originate? You know, a lot of these things uh, started to originate. This you don't see it in the in the New Testament for sure. Uh, and I'm, I've got a couple of different notes here for some some big time uh, evangelists. Uh, and I want to start off, uh, Cody, if you don't mind, if you start reading off about Mr. Charles Finney, Charles Finney. Uh, he started doing altar calls in the early 1800s. His purpose was to encourage decisions. Again, remember that word for Christ. He wanted to tally them also. Then he had his uh, the theology unlike the first great awakening, which was Reformed Calvinist, the second Arminian. He denied man of sin nature from Adam and became become simple of the offense and that a sinner was solely responsible for their own regeneration, salvation. He also taught perfection, or sinless perfection, Finney is called the father of modern revival. So in the early 1800s, Charles Finney started to come out. He was doing these humongous revivals. You guys can look him up if you want to. Uh, he had people everywhere. So Charles Finney come up with something they called the anxious chair. And we talked about Have I talked to you guys about the anxious chair at all? Oh, yeah. Very similar to what spontaneous baptisms happen uh, at, a, at a church that's around here where they try to get people that have already been saved and baptized to run up front and get uh, baptized so they can get other people to come and do the exact same thing. Finney would do an anxious chair. He would actually set this chair up front. Uh, he wanted to see how many people in his services were actually making decisions for Christ because they would take these decisions. I'm sure you guys have been... Uh, in revivals and see where they would bring people up. They, they, did you get saved? They want to take your name. They want to take everything about you. They want to write your numbers down. They take these numbers. We're going to see where these numbers get us in a little bit. Uh, he wanted to be able to tally that, so he started setting people up front uh, in these particular anxious chairs. Uh, you look at Charles Finney. Uh, he had some issues with doctrine, too. That first great awakening was basically reformed. Uh, I put slash Calvinist. It was more of a reformed uh, um, a, a great awakening. The second great awakening is when Charles Finney was jumping in. There was more Armenian on it. They believe that man is responsible for their own salvation a lot of times. He denied Adam give us a sin nature. That's 
That's very problematic, okay? Adam, the Bible is specific about that. Adam passes sin nature on to every single one of us. Uh, or you just read it a minute ago in Psalm 51. It's, uh, it basically says, David says, from my, from my mother's womb, I was born in iniquity. Well, we're sinners from uh, the time we actually come out because that sin nature was passed on to us. He also believed that we were solely responsible for our own salvation. The Bible is specific. We're not solely responsible for our own salvation because if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw us, we have no shot at doing it. The Bible tells us, like I said a minute ago, that we're enmity against God. We won't do the things of God. We don't even understand the things of God. So if we were solely responsible for our own salvation, we would be all lost. We would never come uh, to the saving grace, the saving faith that God actually gives us. So he also believed in sinless perfection. That's very dangerous. Any of you guys ever hear after you become saved have sinless perfection? No. No. Physically, we don't. There's no way. We're going to mess up. There's things that uh, go through our minds, things that come out of our mouth that are not uh, of God. Does that mean we're not saved? No, that means we're fallible creatures and we're still dealing with this flesh. Paul actually said at moments, he said, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. He said, I find that there's two things born inside of me. Uh, and the spirit, if the spirit's living inside of us, it will eventually win out. But it is a uh, battle. So we want to keep that in mind. Uh, there's no way for sinless perfection. What I do want to bring up, though, is spiritually we are looked at as sinless because we talked about in our uh, uh, thing last week, our podcast last week, because God give us that righteous road. When he looks at us, he looks at us as a son. He looks at us as being saved because what a son has done. So spiritually, we are sinless, but physically, we're going through that sanctification process where we're not perfect, and we're getting closer and closer to what God wants us to look like as Christians. Right. Yep. Good. Uh, second one, uh, uh, boy, is uh, uh, another prominent uh, evangelist. Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday. All right. Uh, he followed Charles family up in the early 1890s and built tents in the thousands. So uh, he, he actually followed Charles Finney. I apologize. We, we typed this thing out. I, I hand wrote some of this stuff, and my wife uh, couldn't read my handwriting. She missed this one. It was actually Charles Finney. Uh, it was in the early 1800s. Uh, Billy Sunday was uh, uh, an evangelist in the early 1900s. Billy Sunday was actually a really good baseball player, and he was filling tents with the people that liked him as a baseball player. He was filling eighteen to 20,000 people in a tent. You guys, you guys want to be a thing? You're talking about probably you didn't have air condition back then. Could you imagine being in a tent with eighteen to 20,000 people? <laughs> Pretty hot, right? We, 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 we was having a little bit of issues with the, the – Possibly with our air conditioned day, always said it felt pretty good up in the sanctuary, but everybody was a little bit nervous that our air conditioning wasn't going to be working up here in the sanctuary. So, probably pretty hot. But to get back on with Billy Sunday, uh, he was uh, in the same line. Uh, he was uh, filling tents up pretty good. He wanted to try to tally some numbers uh, to figure out how many people was getting saved uh, in those particular big uh, revivals. Uh, and again, a uh, good thing that was going on. I know people was touched him. I know people was saved him. I know people were going to get to this next person who was actually saved in their crusades. Who was that, uh, uh, Cody? The next person in, in line here. Uh, Billy Graham. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's his huge crusades and impact on, he had a, he had a huge uh, impact on evangelism. Mm -hmm. Uh, he always ended the service with an altar call, encouraging people to respond to the gospel and coming forward and giving their life to Christ. So he uh, he wanted to give he come forward and give their life to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Not not saying there's anything 
uh, actually wrong with that. I'm just saying this is the origins of where the sinner's prayer actually came in, into being, bringing people up, trying to get them to make decisions, trying to get the tally up, trying to get your numbers down. Uh, do I believe people were saved in these crusades? We know for a fact there was. Uh, we're going to look at some statistics a little bit later and see uh, some some detriment to, to some of the things that was actually happening. So I got a second question. Go ahead. Second question. Why would they feel the need to do that? Why, why would they need to count? I don't know them personally, so I don't know why they would. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, for us, I, the only thing I can gather to to, to make match up with us, you know, we're, we're trying to get on on YouTube. We're looking at our, you know, our sponsors, not sponsors, but our uh, listeners and stuff. We kind of keep a number uh, tally up too. So looking for the numbers, maybe not that bad. Uh, it just it kind of could be bothersome when you're you're trying to tally things up and you really don't know. Now, we don't know. Like we can't look at somebody and say this is what they were. Yeah, we can't look and say this person was actually saved or not. Like, if you look at it from a um, just a simple judge of effectiveness, right, of, of what they're doing. And if they're traveling around doing crusades and uh, evangelism and big number of big tents, there's a lot of money involved in setting all that So that's where I was going. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if they have some numbers and documentation kind of to put forth donors or investors that would be giving money to help, you know, move their their – show, I guess, from town to town, they would you need some numbers, you know, you need something to show for it, I guess. Yeah. And that's and that's where it comes out. Seems like a little bit of self fortification. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, it possibly could. I don't, I, don't, I really don't know with it. Uh, I just know that, that the origins of what we're dealing with now uh, has come up through some of the stuff. I know uh, Paul Washer is one of the greats uh, it's actually later in my but I'm gonna bring it up now. Paul Washer is one of the great evangelist that goes around the world. He goes to all the kind of different countries and stuff like that. And he's got a, a message out there on one of the, the, the YouTube channels. And he said that the, that the sinner's prayer is very dangerous, number one. And he said that it is almost the golden calf of the American church. Instead of doing it, uh, and I hate to say doing it biblically, but you know, instead of doing it the way that the disciples done, the way Jesus done, we we come up with this formula. That's what Tom. That's why I like his mess or his his, his answer so much. He said it's not a formula. Yeah. It's not any of this stuff. You know, uh, it was a way to get finite beings to have a relationship with an infinite being, and it and I think the purpose was actually good what they wanted to do, but you lose people through the cracks when you do that, um, and that's where we're at with it. Um, you know, you start looking at some statistics. All three men, I do want to say this, they had huge followings. And I don't want to make any claims against either one of them, any, any one of those three people. Uh, I just wanted to show uh, where this quick salvation, these quick decisions actually come from. And that's that's the origin of it. Then we see decision cards. You guys ever been anywhere and you start to see decision cards uh, getting passed around? Yeah. Yeah, it happens a lot of times. The number tallies. How many times you've been in churches and they want number tallies? We want to count this. We want to count. I want to count every single thing. Nothing wrong with counting, but if we're counting for, you know, just number purposes, it gets us in trouble. Uh, really, we want to keep a, a, a record of that. Yeah, yeah. That kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Every time when I was uh, on staff somewhere, I want, I want to bring this up too because this just drove me insane. Anytime I was on staff somewhere, told someone, uh, somebody responded to the gospel, the question always came up: Did you have to say the prayer? Never failed. You know what my answer was? No. <laughs> and their answer, why not? Always come out like that. Well, I don't believe that the prayer saves anybody. 
What'd you do? I told him what the Bible tells you to do. Well, what's the Bible tell him to do? Repent and believe the gospel. You heard the gospel. Repent and believe. That was always my... And if they made a response, um, then we took it as, as genuine. And then we went through the next steps of, of doing what the Bible actually tells us to do. Getting those guys baptized. But finding out if that was a true response is always going to be later. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the proof's going to be in the pudding. It's always going to be... It's always going to be later. And now I'm sure there's a lot of uh, people that got baptized. They went in a dirty center and they came out a dirty center because they didn't ever make the, 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 the true profession yeah. of faith. They don't feel that there's no physical change after you said the prayer. And so you don't have this. I must, I need to say it again because it didn't take the time. I, I feel it take. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't have this written anywhere yet. And I wanted to bring this in. And uh, uh, Mandy told us before uh, that she used to go to these uh, uh, camps, I believe it was. And yeah. she got saved like 10 different times over like 10 different years. She you know, right. Once you bring her up, she told me to bring her up. <laughs> Exactly. Like awesome, but uh, I, I, I remember this, and, it, and I'm glad she told it to me. She told this to me like when I first met you guys about three years ago, and I said that's why I have so much problems with the way that we do evangelism, especially kids. Number one, because a lot of times we bring in fear tactics that can be used to manipulate. Because uh, none of these little kids, if you say, uh, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. They, they, I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to yeah, do this. Do it again. Yeah. Uh, and then you have all these kids that's coming up and says, I do this. I, you know, and they haven't got to the point where they even understand what they've done. You know what I'm saying? They don't have that point that the Holy Spirit might, they might have, and they might not have moved on them. Uh, Judith uh, uh, got saved at like eight years old. And, and you, I, I truly believe that, son, that my son, it's truly safe because I can see some of the actions yeah. in his life. You can watch that, but there might be some that have been around the church as much. Yeah. Didn't have the, the, the some people call it age of accountability. There's no age of accountability in the Bible. Uh, that's a Jewish thing that was about 13 years old. They thought that when age of accountability actually came in. But I believe the true age of accountability is when you know what you've done and you are standing in front of Holy God and you can't fix it. You know? It's like when you're old enough to understand. The meaning of the cross. Yes. And so, until that point, you can't possibly accept salvation because you can't process why Jesus had to die on the cross in order to save from the sin. I think I found that with our kids, just walking through the logistics of it. And because, I mean, they're all, well, now they're older, but when they were younger, and just, Jesus had to die for my sins. But what's the sin? What's the bad thing I did? So but why did Jesus have to die for that? Because. Yeah. And that's the end of it. There's no there's no rationale to that. So I, um, I agree with you. I think the age of accountability would be uh, when, when you have the ability to process all the information and wait and, wait and make your, um, your belief on whether or not that actually happened. Right. Yeah. And then going back with Mandy uh, over there, you know, she's got to say like 10 different times in 10 different camps. Uh, uh, and and and, uh, and a lot of times it was uh, using the wrong tactic and scaring somebody to death and, and, and not wanting to go to hell. And, you don't know, uh, see Jesus in the Bible scaring people to believe in him. It was, it's an invitation mm -hmm. to come willingly, not because of being forced to by fear. The only only people you'll ever see Jesus meet me to was Pharisees. Right. Every single time. <laughs> he went up to a uh, rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, and he says, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, he says, why do you call me good? There's only one good but God. And uh, he basically says, you know the law. Keep the commandments. Remember that? And he goes, <laughs> he goes through it with him, right? Yeah. 
And he did, you remember which one he got to, Cody? He did, he did, he did do well with it. You remember which one it was? It had something to do with it. He said, go sell all your possessions. This is a rich young man. He couldn't do it. He said, he couldn't do it. And uh, Jesus said, hey, God, right? He got angry and left. Right? He did. He, he left. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, he, got, he got angry and he left because Jesus used the law on him. Showed him that he had another God. Does that make sense? Yeah. He it was the, yeah. what the first command. He broke the first commandment. You have another God, right? Uh, it wasn't so much about the money. It was about that he was putting his trust in his money. And he had a lot of money. He didn't want to get rid of it. He had done everything else. Dotted all the, put his faith in his money. Yeah. Dotted, dotted all the T's. Dotted all the I's. Across all the T's. Uh, and he went away sad because he knew that he wasn't willing to do that. Uh, yeah. I so, think enough people today realize that uh, you know, we've heard the saying, the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, but I don't think people realize today that money can be your God. Yeah. Yeah, just like you can make yourself your God. If, if, you know, how you prosper or how you uh, do in your life is, is the measuring stick versus how you measure up the, you know, God's perfect example. Right. And you can look back a uh, perfect example of somebody making their own stuff to be out of, out of God. As people did too, was fair you know, uh, he set himself up, and everything was the way he wanted it. And then when God came in and he eradicated Egypt, he took care of every single one of their gods, and he took care of Pharaoh because Pharaoh himself thought he was uh, a god. But Jesus here, man, he like they said, boy, man, he was always meeting people where they were. He wasn't afraid to address something they might be doing wrong, right? But uh, he didn't do it in, in a condemned. Like, Jesus, the Bible actually tells us that Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world. Right? That through him, that he would be saved. He don't have to come and condemn anybody. No. They're already condemned. The Bible tells us that we're already condemned. We don't need any help. Yeah. Jesus didn't have to do that. He would come in and, and like a physician would point out that you're sick. This is what why why you're sick. Like Jesus would point out this is the sin that you got. Yeah, and, and think about that too, uh, Cody. If you went to a doctor, right? Uh, and this was in some of our uh, our, our webmasters classes and stuff like that. And, and let's just say, let's just say you took your mother to the doctor, right? And uh, she's got cancer. And uh, I believe Paul Washer actually talked about this. It wasn't in my classes, but he said, uh, "Go to this doctor, and you go in. You want to take your mom out for lunch that day. You want to have a good lunch, right? And you go in, uh, and uh, she don't know she's got cancer, right? Uh, and then instead of the doctor telling her the truth." He says, oh, everything's okay with you. Uh, I'm going to prescribe you some Skittles and send you on your way. And then your mom winds up dying of cancer because the doctor lied to her. Would that be a good doctor? No. It would be a horrible doctor. You might want to go to a doctor like that. And we like Skittles. Well, Skittles would like him. There would be a lot of Skittles that they were selling. But Paul Walsh Paul Walsh said, I actually did that. And he said, my mother was didn't know she had cancer. And she went in and the doctor says, I got really bad news. He said, you've got cancer in this terminal. He said, my mother was just strong. He said, I still have to take her out to lunch that day. But I would rather that doctor tell her the truth yeah. than to lie to her. And that's how dangerous it can be when we get into manipulating somebody to say something that might not be true. We need to, we need to do what the Bible says. Preach the gospel. Preach repentance. Uh, preach you're saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith. And let God do what God does. The Bible tells us this. It says, some sow, do y'all remember the scripture? Some sow, some reap, but it's God that brings the harvest. So some people go out there and they they, they, they preach the gospel, right? Some are out there or uh, reaping, right? Bringing, bringing the harvest in, but who's the one that brings the increase? 
It's always God. It's not always. It's just water to see. That's all we do. You might have a small, small portion. So, so people always want to go out there and they want to get a decision that day. If I talk to somebody and I tell them the gospel and they didn't get saved, they beat themselves up. You don't have to do that. All you got to do is, is plant the seed. You tell them what the Bible actually says. God will do his part. If he is in this, the Holy Spirit will draw them. If the Holy Spirit draws them, I promise you they're going to get saved. Okay? Uh, we're talking decision cards. We're going to pass that now. The first thing. Um, Can we talk about statistics? Yeah, I'm going to next. We're going to need some statistics. Uh, Ray Gumper brought these up. Uh, he started doing, this is where the 70s come out. It wasn't hell best case. would come out in about the 80s. But he started going to do some traveling evangelism. Uh, and as we get to travel, he found that 80 to 90 percent, that's a lot, that's a lot, 80, 80 to 90 percent, right, of those making a decision, now I told you guys to remember this word, decision for Christ, were falling away from the faith, right? In 1991, this is a major denomination, obtained or recorded, obtained or recorded 294,000 decisions for Christ. That's like filling up Tennessee Ball Stadium three times, right? Yeah. 294,000 decisions for Christ. They went looking for them in fellowship and they only found 14,000. If we do the math, 294,000 minus 14,000 is? 280,000 missing in action. When we talk about being MIA in the military and we also talk about being MIA in the classroom. That's a whole lot of suspension, man. That's a whole lot, that's a whole lot of suspension. That's a whole lot of people who get kicked out of the military. This on this, this charge, right? You think about that, though. Is there a possibility that a couple fell through the cracks and they were truly saved? Absolutely. Yeah. We believe that. But do we believe 280,000 people just completely vanished? No. No, so we have a problem. We, we see that modern evangelism in its, in its way to effectively bring a sinner to God is flawed. Yeah. Uh, and it's flawed because a lot of times we use the wrong methods. We don't use the methods that the Bible actually has laid out. Something as big as a crusade and you have some, don't have that personal relationship with the person that you're leading to Christ and uh, that person goes on the way, there's no way to follow up. It's very difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Now, uh, you're talking about, you know, Mr. Billy Graham. I, I know personally some people that has family that have been in his crusades and truly got saved. Now, like I said, God moves everywhere he wants to move. I believe people get saved through the center of prayer. I believe people got saved in these crusades. Again, we're not attacking these people. We're saying that we have some major issues with some numbers that don't add up and we, we've got to get away from well, the theology of saying say this prayer yes. and now you're saying that's exactly what we're saying this 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 using this as a method using this as a methodology or, or the end all be all that golden calf is, is very it's very dangerous if we can get away from that and, and trust did God need the sinner's prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament to save somebody? No he did it. Well he did it he didn't Right, if he did, it would be in there. He did what God does. We need to trust God. He's going to do what he do. A lot of times we get so worried about what we're going to say to this person or how we're going to do this or how we're going to do that. We're putting everything on ourselves. When I got to the point when I went through some of these classes and I realized it wasn't about me, every, all, the, all the burden got lifted off of you where you're not worried about if I say something wrong to this person, they might bust hell wide open. Yeah. That's not true. The Bible says that God, if you are his, He's going to actually save you. It's specific about that. He's not going to lose you once he has you. I remember having that thought on a mission trip. So if I don't say this right, I'm going to send this person to hell. I was scared to death after I talked to people 
when I didn't know what I was doing, I go lay my head on the cut. I, I said, I should have said this, and I should have said this, and I should have said this, right? Yeah, and you, yeah. you read, go through that whole thing, and you're so scared because you're so worried that, man, I flubbed that up. God's disappointed in me. God likes to use us, but he don't need us. Trust me. Yeah. He does not need us. Ask Moses how much God really needs us because he showed up to him in a burning bush and said, hey, here I am. He just chooses to use us. We need to use the Bible and the methods he give us to draw people. But actually, the Holy Spirit draws, but to lead them uh, uh, in the right direction. That's yeah. a minor amount of elaboration that you did. It's plant the seed. Plant the seed. That goes back to plant, uh, uh, some sow, some reap. God brings uh, the increase. So that's, that's what I want us to, to, to look at and focus on today. So uh, we do have a major problem uh, uh, in, in those numbers. Uh, that means basically five out of every hundred decisions for Christ are real. That means 95, 95% of decisions for Christ may not be real. And you think about, you know, uh, how many people have you saw, and maybe you was in the youth group with, or, or they might have said the prayer when you said the prayer, you actually truly got saved, Cody, they might have done the same thing, and they're living out right now, and they're nowhere to be found, or they're living like a heaven, right? Actions don't bear the truth. Yeah, they did the exact same thing that you did, so one was real, and one was not. That's that's very, very eye-opening, uh, very dangerous, because we don't want, uh, we want to make sure that God does what he does, and we want the people to truly get saved. And that's, that's a personal thing for them. They'll know if they're saved. Uh, we can never look at somebody and pretty, pretty much say, you, you can never do that. You don't have that ability to make sure that somebody is saved. Only God knows. Uh, that's, that's, that's one thing I want to put out for today, too. Uh, I brought this up earlier. Uh, and that's uh, Paul Washer was talking about, uh, his great evangelist said it was the golden calf of the American church. Uh, and it's what they like to cling to uh, to get people to get saved. Uh, if we just get back to the basics, uh, I believe that's that's the way to go. Get back to the basics. Uh, preaching repentance. Preaching that uh, there is a God out there that, that did sacrifice himself. Uh, and tell them, use the law. Don't be scared to use the law. Uh, if you walk up to somewhere and say, you know, have you ever told a lie? You know, really quickly they find out that they have. You know, you have that conversation back and forth with them. Uh, use the mirror of the law for what it's designed for. Uh, don't always go for that decision. There's nothing wrong for uh, if somebody actually comes out and says, you know what, I, I do feel that, you know, and they they, they uh, confess with you with that. Uh, we should celebrate those things, right? We should be happy when when that when that comes into play. But that, that brings into another little thing, too, that once we know that that's happened, they've made this decision, and we need to come up beside them. This is where we fail a lot of times in churches because we're so out there in the churches and our goal is to use the church house to get people saved, get people saved, get people saved. The church house is designed for discipleship, right? It's to equip us to go out there into the hedges, the highways, and, and do what we're supposed to do in being the evangelist out in the world. And we have the right message to give them so when they actually do get saved, they can come in the church house yeah. and they can be discipled. A lot of times we're, we're out there doing one thing, one thing, one thing, and your people that sit in the, in the service a lot of times, they're starving. Because mm-hmm. that's actually your, your sheep, right? Mm-hmm. And they're wanting to hear more messages, deeper stuff, your Sunday schools, all these things. Uh, and then they're getting lost in the boat. Yeah, you're not getting the depth of the sustenance. And then, then we look around and we have the problem that we might have as American church, that the church might be shallow. Does that make sense? Because we're, we're so worried about getting that one salvation that our roots in the church don't get any deeper because we haven't been discipled in the right way. And that might be the reason why they have so many people that are not in this number. But you have the 
294,000. Uh, the yeah, understanding of salvation is so surfacy because it's it's not a discipling church, and it should be, but we just don't know enough to answer the really hard questions that can take some people off the rails. And if they didn't actually have faith to begin with, their pathway to faith would be totally hindered because the people around them can't decide to be in, in churches, I've gotten the, the feeling, too, that the, the depth is shallow, and it seems to be like Sunday would be repetitive. You know, mm-hmm. it's sing for 30 minutes, talk for 20 minutes, and then dwell on this altar call at the end. And it just seems like it got to be a very repetitive thing where I wasn't getting any more knowledgeable from Sunday to Sunday that, you know, wasn't given anything, any type of, like you like to say, a little sustenance of, mm-hmm. of what I should be learning. It just ended up being a repetitive question. So very much you get stuck on milk the whole life, right? Milk, 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 milk. Uh, you never get any, any meat. Paul Washer actually brought it, what, what he was talking about. He actually brought it, uh, brought it up in one of his sermons. He said, he said, he said, we have done such a detriment. actually the sermon on, on uh, being a gold cat. He said, what we do is we, 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 we hide the service up, we get everybody, we get them to come forward. He said, the pastor comes down, he gets to jump, jump through all these theological hoops. Then he declares such and such saved. He said, right after, he said, it's like four minutes. He said, everybody goes to Denny's and has lunch. <laughs> he said, that person's sitting there, right? Whether they were or were they not saved, you know what I'm saying? He said, sometimes it takes a long time uh, for that reality to come to them, you know? Uh, we need to be more diligent to, to work with these people uh, and not just uh, go out there to get a decision. Go on about our business, make a tally of it, make a mark of it, and say, hey, this person's saved. We get them through the baptism. We see them 10 years from now. They might have been 10 years old when they went through the baptism. We see them 10 years from now. We're like, whoa, we might have done a disservice to that person. <laughs> we, 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 it's, it's, it's harder to reach those people once they've done this than it's ever uh, for them to get it the actual right way because they, they pretty much shut off to it. And, and they might have had a bad experience in the church, too. Yeah. So. Um, so what do we do about this? Uh, I mentioned a minute ago, we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel uh, like the Bible lays out. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. It is repetitive through, uh, throughout the, the New Testament. Uh, you don't push for someone to say a prayer. Uh, let's, get the, let's let the gospel do what it's designed for, number one. Number two, we need to let the Holy Spirit do his job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father unless they are drawn. Okay, so they have to be drawn. Let the Holy Spirit do his job and trust that God is the author of salvation. The Bible tells us he is the author and finisher of our salvation. And understand that salvation is monergistic. We brought that term up earlier, that God uh, acts alone in salvation. Salvation is not synergistic. That means uh, that man has a part in that. Uh, we do need to uh, acknowledge that we are sinners, uh, but God is the one that author of salvation. We should be uh, uh, absolutely celebrating when someone has acknowledged that um, and that they were converted, then get alongside of them and disciple them and see if the fruits of salvation actually come forth. So uh, that's our take on Sinner's Prayer this week. Any of you guys got anything you want to add to it before we end the end the, uh, the, uh, the podcast? To preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to understand that wherever you're at in your depth of, of the gospel, to to continue to share where you're at, you know, up to your level of understanding to 
to get people drawn. They need that that draw, or maybe maybe you have something to tell them, experience in your life that makes them see things a little bit different way, or maybe they've never heard it at all. Don't be afraid to go out and share. You don't need to be a preacher to share. Um, wherever you're at in your walk or your understanding, continue to share. Continue to to bring it up. Those, what little you may be able to tell them may be just enough to get them yearning for more. I agree with that 100%. God uses us in spite of our fallibilities with some things that's happened in our past that we can talk to somebody and that might pique their, their you know, just might be that light bulb that goes off with the Holy Spirit drawing you and let God do his work. Uh, boy, you want to add anything? That's what kind of Grant was talking about today about getting uh, spiritual gifts that you people say, well, I don't have spiritual gifts. I and it's because they're not in the church, they're not being utilized. Their spiritual gift isn't able to, to do anything because they're not in the church. Right. Um, I think, too, uh, with the sinner's prayer, it's important that we reiterate that we're not attacking anyone. Absolutely. That, that you can truly be saved and, and probably remove the saved sinner's prayer if it wasn't out of fear, out of faith. And, and uh, this could be a very offensive thing that... Some people listening to it, yeah. We, it's not intended to be offensive, you know. They want to be uh, maybe an eye opening thing, and, yeah. and, and the guys that we brought up that might have originated with some of this stuff, well, we, we're definitely not uh, attacking those guys too because we know they had massive crowds, and I'm 100% sure uh, there was some fruit in the stuff because they were preaching, yeah. they were preaching the gospel, and, and, and the intent of all that was not to do anything wicked or evil, it was to, to bring people to Christ and then to. You know, and a lot of times, good things, things actually get morphed into yeah. things that might not be well, the, good. The devil's not a, not a perfect being, and it's not an all, all knowing being. So, I mean, he takes things that are already existing and weaponizes them. And I think this, in this case, is one of those things. Um, when before we before we sign off, I think it was Billy Graham. He he believed I think it was eighty to ninety percent of the people sitting in the pews are possibly not saved. Yeah, that's that's very very. Uh, so uh, that's uh, it for the podcast this week, guys. Uh, we'll be back on next week. Tune in. Uh, we'll be coming up with a, another topic we'll be talking about. And uh, we thank you guys for watching. Uh, we thank you for uh, tuning in with us today. Uh, we definitely want to always pray out uh, before we leave. Uh, before we did last week, Cody, would you mind praying us out today? Lord, thank you for the opportunity uh, to discuss your word, Lord, to have a fellowship here with the guys and everyone listening on. Please uh, be with us as we go throughout the world to help us be good stewards of your word, Lord, and uh, help us to to have that yearning to earn to learn more about you, Lord, and to follow you with, a, with our heart. That's the way that we can, Lord. We praise you in your name. Amen. Amen.